Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. It's time to start another year again already. As hard as it is to believe, we are now 15 years into the 21st century. Um, remember, for some of you who are as old as I am, um, remember when we were kids and Hollywood was making science fiction movies about this year? Yeah, <clears throat> just realized that the, the Back to the Future movies had painted 2015 very differently. Uh, we're supposed to have flying cars and hoverboards and self-tying shoes by now and... Oh, we've got our frustrating uh, smartphones. I guess that'll have to do. Uh, I do not want to go another step this morning without saying congratulations to those of you who read through the Bible in 2014. Uh, we did it. It was a wonderful, confusing, awe-inspiring, sobering, very worthwhile journey, wasn't it? Uh, the longest letter ever written, the, the vastest blueprint ever created, the, the farthest reaching historical document ever assembled. Um, it was a delight to read through it. We were confronted with a, a multifaceted God too wonderful for words. We beheld his power and his beauty in the Bible. We got to know his family. We soaked in his design for his creation. We heard the messages that he sent through his prophets. We were introduced to his son. We witnessed the birth of his church. We received his promises fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled. We had our mission presented to us. We got a picture of our future eternal home. All in the pages of one book. The pages of God's holy word. The Bible. Uh, if you have not established your New Year's resolutions yet, let me suggest just one, whether you've read through the Bible in the past year or not. Uh, we studied the Bible together here at Chapel Hill Church over the past year. So based on what you've read or what you've studied with us here on Sunday mornings, here's the resolution for you. Live it out. Live it out. Put it in practice. Obey it. Be who it says we were created to be. Christ has invited you to follow him, so follow him. Christ has set an example for us to live by. Let's live by it. What did God say to you in 2014? Did you hear him speaking to you in the past year? Did you get some new insight into his character, his instruction, his vision, his heart, his mission, his church, his word? Did you get a deeper understanding of yourself or of someone else that you know or of your Savior, Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with this new insight that you've been given? Let it change you. Let it affect the way you live your life in 2015. Don't waste the opportunity that every new year brings. Don't limit yourself to earthly pursuits, to merely improving yourself or your environment, your situation. Determine that you will take the words of God and put them into practice this year. Deepening our connection to our Heavenly Father ought to be on all of our lists for the year. And as a church in 2015, we'll once again commit ourselves to growth in three key areas. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, in the way that we live in love with each other as His church, and in the impact that we have on this world. Now what about you personally? How will you live your life this year as a follower of Jesus Christ. Think that through as you start the new year. Um, for those of you who took up the Bible reading challenge for 2014, um, be looking for details and an invitation to a celebration that we'll have soon. Um, this is worth celebrating. 
Open your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, um, just go ahead and put your hand up. Our ushers will uh, scramble back there and grab some Bibles um, that you can use for the service here. And if you receive one of those Bibles and, and you don't have a Bible of your own, Please keep the one that you receive as our gift to you. Um, you, you need to have the Word of God in your possession. Um, so does anybody need a Bible? Go ahead and put your hand up and I'll make sure that you get one. Yes. Uh, who's back there that I can pick on? We have no ushers back there right now. Paul, thank you. All right. Uh, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Way back in June, we started to look at the Sermon on the Mount that was intended to last through the summer. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. Um, We're still in chapter 5. Who knew that the words of God, God's Son, Jesus Christ, would be so interesting and full of meaning and significance? And there we are. Um, When I think about this, I picture myself sitting and staring into a treasure chest that I've just discovered in a cave somewhere. And as I look over each piece that, that the chest holds, I'm drawn to examine it and drink in its beauty and its value. And I'm having a hard time just moving on, closing the treasure chest as if I've looked long enough and I'm pressed to move on to something else. In fact, never mind the one treasure chest, I'm discovering a multitude of treasure chests in this cavern that is the Sermon on the Mount. And I've completely lost track of time. And so be it. It's easy to do when you're exploring God's words. So let's go back now to Matthew chapter 5 and get caught up briefly. Let's go back to where we left off before the Christmas season. And speaking of the Christmas season, let me just say thank you again to all those of you who helped make the Christmas season a very special one. Um, Jesus was honored here throughout the season. I believe that hearts were impacted. We drew closer to Jesus as we reflected on the fact that he drew closer to us through his incarnation. Um, On Christmas Eve this time, there was no one who shared that they had made a decision to follow Jesus on that day. But of course, that will not discourage us in the least from making those kinds of opportunities available as a church. Um, Thank you for your prayers for the Christmas season. God truly answered those prayers in many, many ways. So let's get back to our study. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read through the Beatitudes again and then briefly review the passages that follow before we get into some new material this morning. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it's hard to believe that we first looked at this passage seven months ago. Um, it's still right here in the, in the front of my thoughts and my mind, and I'm, I'm glad it is. Um, this is who we were called by Jesus to be. This is a character portrait 
for God's people, for followers of Jesus that comes with a a mountain of blessings. Jesus is calling us to be people who acknowledge our spiritual poverty and our dependence on him. He's calling us to mourn the sin in our lives, to mourn anything about ourselves that does not come from him. He's calling us to stand strong in the midst of our struggle to give in to the temptation to fight or to run when we face life's pressure and to instead seek his desire and his will for our lives. Jesus is calling us to cultivate our desire, to see things be the way they ought to be according to God's standard. He's calling us to be merciful. He's calling us to develop the right motives. Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers, and he's encouraging us with the promise of the kingdom of heaven when we live the kind of life and be the kind of people that he's calling us to be, and we're then persecuted for living out that calling. So have the Beatitudes been left behind already since we looked at them way back at the beginning of summer? Bring them back if they have. Bring them back to your mind. Pray faithfully that God will develop this kind of character in you. Jesus then went on to talk about our identity. Salt of the earth and light of the world, he called us. 2,000 years later, we're still reminding ourselves that we are to let our light, the light of the gospel of Jesus, shine in our world. And not just the church as an organization, but each one of us individually. And we're going to work hard at getting our light to shine even brighter this year. There are so many people in our lives living in the insecurity and the fear that is the darkness. As followers of Christ, those who have found the light, we, ha- we are their greatest hope of finding their way home. Of finding their way out of the darkness and into the light. Following his words to us concerning our identity, Jesus spoke of his authority and his mission He was about to reestablish God's law in an environment where God's words had been twisted and distorted. So he would clarify God's words to his people. He would correct the mistakes that had been made. He would also redirect the attention of God's creation off their behavior and onto their hearts, to their character. Jesus made it clear that his father's laws were to be written on the hearts of his people. And so that's where he focused his words. And then Jesus began to address a series of issues that the scribes and Pharisees had manipulated by taking God's laws and adjusting them to better suit their liking. Jesus begins with a few words on anger. Do you remember what he said on that? He talked about the state of our hearts towards the people in our lives. He talked about the danger of our anger and our words. He talked about how we sometimes deny the value in others, the value that God put there. And on he went to confront other lies that had been circulated. Jesus spoke about lust, helping us see that adultery can happen even in the heart, just in the heart. He talked about divorce, bringing his listeners back to God's powerful perspective on love and commitment. And he talked about our integrity, how God's desire is that we simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. He spoke to the heart Jesus brought with him the wisdom, perspective, power, and grace to change our hearts, to better represent his heart. Later in the book of Matthew, excuse me, in chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John for a walk up a mountain. He had something to show them. And when they reached the, the mountaintop, Jesus was transfigured. He took on a very different appearance. 
He took on an elevated, more beautiful appearance. And there with him appeared Moses and Elijah. And seeing this, Peter tries to do the right thing by suggesting that he makes some tents for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And I suppose Peter, in his state of utter shock, responded with concern and hospitality. That was good. But before he could complete his suggestion, God interrupts him. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then do you remember what God added to that? Do you remember the next three words that God said? He said, listen to him. Listen to him. Let me remind you as we carry on in the Sermon on the Mount that this is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking. And it is his words that we're to be listening to. The words of Jesus Christ. And we do a lot of listening every day. We listen to a wide range of noise sources. We receive words in the form of conversations, teaching, music, entertainment, and much, much more. I can't imagine how many words are received by our ears and our minds every single day. But none of the words we hear from these many sources can compare to the words we receive from Jesus Christ. Before he gave us the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave Satan some words as well. He gave his enemy some sound counsel in response to the temptations that Satan was throwing at him. Quoting a passage from the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Later, God would tell Peter, James, and John to listen to Jesus, to listen to his words. That bit of instruction is never diminished in its value. It is so valuable for us. We will find life in the words of Jesus Christ as we listen to him. Too many people were listening to the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Too many people are listening to voices other than God's today as well. So what about you? There's a lot of great sounding clatter and chatter out there in this world. How much of our listening is given to the chatter in comparison to the amount we listen to the words of God, such as the ones spoken here through Jesus? These words contain life. Life. So let's listen well. Jesus said to Pilate as he stood trial before his crucifixion, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Chapel Hill, this church is of the truth. Let's listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. So let's dive back in. Jesus continues in his sermon, and we continue in our listening. And here come some more challenging, life-giving words. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, and we'll read through verse 42 today. Chapter 5, verse 38 to 42. This is what Jesus says. Again, he says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now we are a culture that is obsessed with rights. 
which makes this passage a very difficult one for us to swallow. Um, Just look back on the year 2014. How many of the news headlines for the year were focused on human rights? I, I would say they dominated the year and in so many crazy mixed up scenarios. We took a stronger stand for the rights of lawbreakers in this country than we did for the rights of hundreds of young women who were kidnapped and have most likely been abused and murdered in Nigeria. Yet we claim to be a nation that fiercely defends human rights. One thing is certain. We do fiercely fiercely defend our own personal rights. Those rights are even in our Constitution, and we grow up very much aware of the fact that we have rights and that we need to defend those rights. And our sinful nature jumps on board that train of thought and cheerfully guides us down the road of rights to the destination of total selfishness and self-centeredness. We fail to see that it is not possible for everyone to have everything they want But we continue to live as if that will still work for us personally. Self takes center stage. And when self takes center stage, others simply don't matter. We soon reach the point where God's holy law and his justice are irrelevant in the pursuit of our rights. And even justice centers around ourselves in our minds. Revenge and retaliation replace God's design for justice among his creation. Everything is ours, and we're in charge. And if we slow down to think about this, even for just a minute, I think it's very difficult for us not to see that something's wrong with our cultural perspective when it comes to rights. We know that this level of selfishness directly contradicts God's perspective. We can't miss that. This has been the case since the fall of man. We've removed God from his place as king, And Lord, we've taken justice into our own hands. But we really do know that things can't succeed this way. We know that God has a greater vision in mind when it comes to human rights. Surely this is something that should be left in the hands of the one who created humans, not in the hands of the humans themselves. This passage in Matthew 5 challenges the human tendency to hold on to the right to repay others for what they've done to us. The words of this passage are supported elsewhere in the Bible and in the lives of those who surrendered their right to repay. Uh, We'll see this as we break this passage down. The Apostle Paul's life after meeting Jesus was a clear example of one whose rights were surrendered for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's see how our lives will be impacted by Jesus' words as well here. The tension that this passage creates is a tension over the surface appearance of these words and how strongly they collide with our human nature and, for, and with our need to defend our own rights. Many people, myself included, have, have read these words and immediately brought to mind just this image of, of doormats, of people who just let themselves get run over The ideals of of Gandhi are often associated with this passage, even though he would not have claimed the words of the Bible as his inspiration. We see this as a call for us to passively allow ourselves to get run over. We think we're being called here to be weak and ineffective, merely existing to be taken advantage of by others. And that certainly contradicts our inner need to defend our own rights. 
So let's make sure we understand what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Because that's not it. Aligning ourselves with these words and not just some other more easily accepted words of his is really important. This perspective presented by Jesus is one more aspect of what our character ought to be as we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And Jesus once again states the the principle that has been twisted. The statement in question is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a biblical principle that goes back to the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. This is a principle established by God himself. And behind these words is the concept that in the context of civil justice, the punishment is to match the crime. This brings order to the response to injustice. The law from the time of Moses went far beyond the eye and the tooth realm to include a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise, and a fracture for a fracture. The punishment was to match the crime. And there are two main reasons for this principle. First, the idea of punishment that fits the crime was certain to keep the number of crimes in check. If you knew that you receive a punishment to match your crime, hopefully you'd be less likely to commit that crime. If you knew that death would be your punishment for taking another's life, you'd be less likely to take another's life. The second benefit of this kind of civil justice system would be to prevent people from going too far in their quest for repayment for something that's been done to them. Now you can see in our society just how far things have gone without this form of justice. Um, Even murderers have only jail to fear in most cases. And revenge has gone way, way too far. Minor personal injury now leads to multi-million dollar lawsuits. Just look at how many lawyers have jumped on this financial opportunity as evidenced in the commercials on TV and even the billboards along the highway. Our human need for retribution has gone way too far. Way too far. And please understand that I am not promoting capital punishment here. That's not what I'm doing. Clearly, Jesus is introducing a new way of seeing justice in our passage. And I'm totally on board with what he introduces and the eternal principle of leaving vengeance to God. So let's keep listening to Jesus. But let's understand as we proceed that God never approves of us taking justice into our own hands personally. That was the problem that Jesus was addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. The scribes and Pharisees had taken the eye for an eye principle as license for personal revenge. What they were teaching was that God was giving through these words a command to retaliate. And that couldn't be further from the truth of what Jesus was saying and how he brought correction to what was going on. Jesus instructs his followers to not resist the one who is evil. He's instructing the people not to personally retaliate. Jesus is not saying that we're not to take a stand against evil. That would contradict so much of what he lived and taught elsewhere in the Bible. He's also not speaking against civil justice. Jesus is talking about the realm of relationship here. And we are most certainly to stand up for justice, especially justice for others. We're to uphold the law and insist that others uphold the law as well. But Jesus is putting this into a relational realm. 
and teaching us that we're not to retaliate. He's saying here that we're not to take vengeance on someone who wrongs us. Personal resentment and spite are the kinds of things that Jesus is speaking against. Paul said in Romans, never pay back evil for evil. And that's what Jesus is saying here as well. There's a greater response to evil aimed at us that's expected of us as followers of Jesus. So Jesus puts this principle into four settings. He addresses four basic human rights through which he's going to demonstrate this principle. The first human right he uses is dignity. Dignity. Jesus says that if someone slaps you on the right cheek, we're to turn to him our left cheek as well. We have the right to be treated with dignity, respect, and consideration. We have that right. God has created us with tremendous value and he makes it clear that we're to treat each other accordingly. But he knows that we will not always be treated that way by others. Jesus is addressing our reactions when we're not treated with dignity. Um, Among Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, a slap in the face was a serious insult. Um, It was an attack on someone's honor and it carried with it more insult than, than being punched. It was totally humiliating, and it indicated that the person doing the slapping saw the person that they were slapping as less than human. The right cheek was particularly insulting. This was a cultural symbol of spite, spite that you have for someone else. Now, Jesus taught that we're to turn the other cheek and to let someone slap us on that cheek as well. But his focus here is not on the effort that we make to get the other person to hit us again or to insult us again. That wouldn't make any sense at all. What Jesus is focusing on is what we don't do rather than what we do. He's instructing us not to retaliate in spite of the injustice that's been done to us. We're to leave the defense of our dignity in God's hands. We quickly lose sight of the fact that we have a secure eternity in the perfection of a new heaven and a new earth. We quickly forget that our identity has been established by God already and we can't possibly have a more significant and secure identity than the one that he's given us. Instead, we retaliate in an effort to defend our dignity. And Jesus says, leave it alone. I'll take care of the vengeance part. You leave it alone. Don't retaliate. Then Jesus speaks into the context of our security when he mentions giving up our cloak to someone who sues us for our tunic and how easy it is for us to, to ignore a verse that includes things like cloaks and tunics, things that we don't have in our American wardrobes. So we just kind of write these things off. Well, Jesus is not talking here about being robbed, about somebody stealing your tunic. He's talking about someone who has a legitimate reason for suing you. In Jesus' day, if you could not pay in cash the amount you owed in court, the judge would sometimes make you pay in clothing. You'd pay with your shirt, your inner garment, your tunic, but you wouldn't be made to pay with your cloak. That was your coat. That was the thing that would keep you warm at night. Your cloak was worth far more than your tunic. Giving up your shirt and not your coat kept things from going too far relationally in the midst of that conflict. You were still secure with your cloak. 
And what Jesus is saying is that we should be willing to go further than just giving up our shirt to make sure there are no hard feelings with the one that we've wronged. We're to be willing to give up our security, the things that are essential and valuable to us for the sake of keeping peace between us and the one that we've wronged. You can see the the heart that Jesus is speaking of here again. Then he speaks into the context of our right to liberty. This is the, the statement about going an extra mile. According to Roman law, a soldier at the time of Jesus had the right to ask a civilian, to tell a civilian, to carry his pack at any time for a distance up to, for a distance up to that of a Roman mile, which is slightly shorter than our mile. Uh, this law was designed to relieve the soldier for a time. And that actually sounds like a nice thing to do for someone in the military. But the difference in Rome at that time was that the soldiers represented the oppressors of the people. So I would imagine they hated having to carry the soldier's pack when that soldier represented the very force that was making life miserable for them. But Jesus says that they were to not take revenge or harbor resentment. They were to be willing to actually go two miles for that soldier, not just one. They were to let God take care of the justice side of things. When their liberty was taken from them, they were to be willing to let go of even more liberty for the sake of communicating the heart of Christ in the gospel. Our liberty for eternity is secure. That cannot be taken from us. We are to surrender our earthly right to liberty for the sake of the kingdom of God. Then finally, Jesus addresses the right to property. Um, These are hard statements. Once again, our human rights are being asked of us. Jesus says we're to give to those who beg from us and lend to those who ask. Possessiveness is a tough dimension of our human nature. We tend to forget that nothing we have really belongs to us. We believe that we have the right to do what we want with the things that we own. But Jesus is asking us to lay that right at his feet as well. When we're faced with a genuine need, we are called by God to respond to that need. Jesus is challenging our willingness to respond to the need around us, something that this society that we live in clearly struggles to do. And once again, he's speaking of our hearts, not just our behavior, not just our token good deeds. He's got more to say about this later in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll break it down much more deeply when we get there. But this is what he says. Jesus speaks extensively about dying to ourselves. You'll see that throughout his message. It's at the core of the message that he came to deliver. So, of course, he speaks to our defense of our human rights early on in his ministry. And we have to agree with what he's saying. His words are very challenging to us, but we know that he's right, don't we? If we're fiercely defending our rights, we have to admit that our self is still at the center of our perspective. We have the right to maintain our dignity. We have the right to defend our security. We have the right to exercise our liberty. We have the right to manage our property. Yet Jesus says that if someone wants to follow him, He has to first lay down his life and take up his cross. 
That means that Jesus is asking us to surrender our rights to the things of this world and let him handle what we think we deserve and are entitled to. That's the kind of self-sacrifice that is asked of us as followers of Christ. It's up to us to choose. But as we can see, that kind of life is dramatically different from the American dream that's being paraded in front of us day after day after day. So much of the Sermon on the Mount challenges our cultural worldview. It's the way it was at the time of Jesus. That's the way it is today. So that's the choice that's constantly before us. Die to self and be used by God or fight for our right to live the American dream. To me, the choice is clear. So what needs to die in 2015? Surrendering our rights, dying to self, It'd be a whole lot easier to lose 10 pounds or even retire from social media in 2015. Jesus is looking for more from us. How do I know this? Well, look at the example that he gave us. The perfect son of God gave up his rights for the sake of the gospel by literally dying to self. We're going to share communion together now as a reminder of what he gave up for us. He took our place and sacrificed his body in our place as our substitute. He took our place and faced death for us. He took our place and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. This morning as you come to the table, come with an open heart. Come with a heart that recognizes the degree to which Jesus Christ surrendered his rights. See with clarity the death of Jesus Christ. The Son of God laid down his life for you and me. And he's asking us to surrender our right to retaliation and let him handle it. He's asking us to lay down those rights and offer our lives for his purposes. And in light of all he's done for us, can we really hold on to our rights to dignity, security, liberty, and property? I don't think so. Lay it down this morning as you come to share communion. Offer your life in exchange for the one that Christ has given you. I'm going to have the elders come now and the worship team as well. We're going to share communion together. And if you're new with us this morning, um, we have the elements up front here and the elders are going to serve those elements. And you can come to the table and receive the cup and the bread. You can take it back to your seat. You can come to the cross here. You can go to the back with your family and share that time with them, whatever you choose to do. Parents, it's up to you to decide whether or not your kids are ready to come. You don't have to be a member of this church to share communion with us. All you need to do is be a follower of Jesus Christ, to believe in him, and to commit your life to following who he is and the example that he laid out for us. Quite an example. It involves total surrender on our part. And so we come this morning to acknowledge the fact that he fully surrendered on the cross. Gave it all up for us. And because of his death and resurrection, we are now alive to live the life that he created us to live. So as you come, come open to the fact that God is calling you to surrender everything to him in the year ahead. He wants it all from you and me. Come with that understanding this morning as you come and celebrate. Let's pray together. 
Father, there is so much that stands in the way of us truly living the life that you created us to live. Every day it's a struggle. Every day we do battle with our human nature, our sinful nature, the one that wants to put ourself at the center and you somewhere on the outside. We struggle with our rights. We struggle with our pride. We struggle with our selfishness. But you invite us to come just as we are. You invite us to come with that selfishness and lay it at your feet. You invite us to come ready and willing to confess the sins that we've committed, to confess the ways in which we've fallen short, and to ask for your forgiveness, knowing that because of the blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross, you will forgive those sins. You will make us clean and whole again. And God, we invite you this morning to come in and take that place in the center of our lives, in the center of our hearts and minds. And be our Lord, be our King, be our judge, be the one who handles our rights. Father, this morning we surrender our rights to you, knowing that they've only been given to us by you. Help us to do that. Help us to let go of what we think is our own, of what we think we're entitled to. Help us to let go of our selfishness. To come as we are and allow you to make that change in us and transform us more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. The model that we have, the example that we have for the lives that we live. Thank you for sending your son to take our place. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We come to you in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.